So, Battle Royale. I'm cheating a little bit with We're this one. We're halfway there. But... <laughs> I'm, I'm cheating a little bit with this one, because it was actually, it was a novel before it was a comic book. Was it? Right, so it was, it was a novel, yeah. then a film, then a comic book. I'm not sure. I feel like, like, the, I... the comic came out in sort of the same time as the movie. I mean, the movie was done in 2000, mm. and the manga started in 2000. Right. Um... So it's very, very close. I couldn't tell you exactly which one came first. Um, however, whew, I've literally, I've just written down character names for this one because apart from one guy, but there's not really anyone I know to be famous in movies in it. Um, I don't watch a lot of Japanese cinema, so apologies to any Japanese cinema fans if I've just dissed one of your favourite actors. But... Um, to go with the, the basic plot of it is the world has fallen into a state where grown-ups are essentially scared of the youth. They're completely um, like in revolt. Coronavirus. Yeah. Because we will survive they, and they, you will not. They, they, they're doing that shit. And so this act has been passed where once a year a random school class gets picked, dumped on an island, handed a weapon and just told, you got three days, one survivor or everyone fucking dies. Yeah. Um... So, the novel was written by Mr. Kushin Takami. It was completed in 1996 and published in 1999. Oh. So, it was only a year later that the, the manga and the movie both came out. Mm. So, obviously, this was like a big fucking thing. Like, this stirred up a real hornet's nest very, very quickly. Yeah. Can't say I'm fucking surprised. Um, and, like, when I heard about this movie, I was, like, sort of not living with, but, like, I think I was seeing a girl who lived in a student house, and they were all art and movie students. Right. And so they heard about this. There was a special showing of it. We didn't get to go to the showing of it, but we got hold of a VHS copy, I think, about six months later and watched it. Now, I knew the idea of it being school kids killing each other. How far are they going to go on camera? Mm. The answer is all the fucking way. <laughs> None of this slow motion cutting away trying to make it look like lots of killings happening without having... If someone dies in this, you fucking see it. Yeah. And to say there are 42 kids in this, you see each and every one of them die. Yeah. Um, two of them before they even make it into the fucking arena. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, of the awesome guy, the Beat Takeshi, the guy who plays the gym teacher, he's mm. my favourite in it by a country fucking mile. Yeah, he is great in it. And mm. the only other one that I know or recognise, and I don't even know her name... Mm. Um, one of the schoolgirls, she was also in Kill Bill. Uh, yeah, that is uh, the, the girl uh, who plays Mitsuko Suma. She's like the like the sexy one who will seduce you and then kill you. Mm. Which they do, they tell that story in about five seconds of screen time with no words. And I think they do it really, really well. And it's just, uh, you see her getting up, strapping her bag on and walking off. And there's two just naked dead boys on the floor. Yeah. And you know exactly what the fuck has happened, and they just tell it like that. The way this film's directed is fucking great. Yes. Um, this is one of the director's last films. I don't, I, I don't really know, so I don't know his name, but um, he was a... Uh, it's directed by Kinji Fukasaku. Yes, and he was a old dude at the time. Yeah. It was one of his last films. I think he died about 2003. Um, yeah, he did. It's one of he died while he was making Battle Royale 2. Okay. And then his son, Kenta Fukasaku, came and took over it. Which is mm. why the end of the second movie is a bit weird. I've not seen the sequel. It's mostly good. Mostly good. It's mostly good. It's mostly on a par with the first one. They've got a new rule in it where obviously in sort of like Battle Royale, which I don't think they do in the Hunger Games, you've got a collar around your neck. Mm. And if you're in a certain area on the map at a certain time, yeah, they, they basically detonate the collar and you 
fucking yes. face gets blown off, which we see happen as well. At the very big, yeah, when that's kind of the scariest part for Hell me yeah. anyway, watching that film is when they are first marched into this room with all these soldiers mm. armed and their old fucking teacher, mm. and obviously they're all scared and confused, and he goes through the rules. Mm. And the way he's cheering along with the instructional video yes. and how like over the top and happy and enthusiastic. Konnichiwa! That is chilling as fuck. Yeah. And, and also I'm gonna need to borrow that instructor from that video <laughs> for research. Yeah, just the way um he's so sort of brazen about mm. just telling them this is what's happening. Most of you are gonna die. It's if you fuck up, yeah. here's what happens. And in the very beginning, mm. just Kills a fucking kid just to mm. show. Here's what happens when the collar yeah. goes off. Oh, you got that. You got the woman. The girl. He won't shut up. So he just puts a knife through her fucking head. Yep. Walks over, foot on her head, pulls it back out. Cash as fuck. And then yeah, one of the is it the main character's mates is kicking off. So he goes, I hate to do this. Yeah, basically, just... the little shit from yeah. the class. The little Nobu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gets it. Yeah, Nobu becomes no face quite quickly. And yeah, when that thing goes off, like it's not a full on head detonation. It's just it blows your throat apart. Yeah, it's really. Uh, the shot is very well done. Mm. The way they do it, um, I th some I think sort of quick cut. It's more effective that it doesn't take the head off, I think, as well, because you've still got the, the, the pained expression on his face as he's hitting the floor. Yes, well, essentially just kind of blows your throat, like you said, like blows your throat out. Mm. This little mini detonation. Yes. Um, and so yeah, the main characters we get are uh, Shuya Nanahara. He's like the main boy that we're following around who every single girl in this movie is in love with. Yeah. That was making... I was pissing myself laughing watching this back because I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, every single girl in this film is in love with him. Yeah. Or has a crush on him. Mm. Or like, he's mm. like... I, what? He's not like the jock. He's just the nice guy. He's the nice guy. He's in, the nice in guy. In the, the manga. Apparently in Japan, nice mm. guys don't finish last. <laughs> no, um, I'm not going to finish that joke. Um, <laughs> Uh, but in the comic book, uh, in the manga rather, which I have actually read all of, um, and it's fucking hard going. If you think the movie's intense, the mm. comic book is like you get a lot more backstory and all the characters. Some of it is just disturbing as fuck because um, you know Japan, and they managed to do it without tentacles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, like, but it's it's fucking horrendous. Like the the girl who's in Kill Bill, her character Mitsuko, like her backstory is fucking horrendous. You find her like since like she was abused sexually as a kid, and then decided she basically seduces and murders her own dad um, because she's fed up of getting raped by him. Um, and then she's like she's going off like finding big like sports stars and like because she looks more he looks older than she is, mm. so she's basically all hips and massive tits at the age of fourteen. And so she's going around seducing like rich stars and then basically saying, oh, by the way, I'm only 14. You're a fucking paedophile. This amount of money in my account or I'll ruin your fucking life. And half the time she takes the money and then ruins the life anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's fucking savage. The guy that they send in, uh, Kakihara, he, because you've got two guys who aren't part of the class. The Kaki, ringers. Yeah, you've got Kakihara who is just a fucking psycho who is just signed up because he wants to kill kids. Yeah. And I think he's meant to be a couple of years older. And he is creepy. Mm. Like, there's just something not right about this guy. He doesn't have a single line of dialogue in the whole movie. Doesn't speak once. No, he doesn't, does he? And back to the whole thing of, like, the silent guys are the scarier ones. Yeah, he fucking nails it. Yeah. He really does. Um, my favourite thing he does is when he, he catches the little kid who's riding away from a bike with a crash helmet on him. Then he realises that he's right next to the house where like our three main guys are. 
And so to get in there, he picks up this guy's head, stuffs a grenade in the mouth and chucks it through the fucking window. So we've got a decapitated 15-year-old kid with a grenade in his mouth being put through a window. Uh, can't believe this didn't get a full UK release. <laughs> um, I didn't see this till I think they showed it on Film 4. Mm. Uh, is Film 4 still going? No idea. I think it's still a studio. I don't know if it's still a channel. Yeah. Um, that's the first time I knew, which we're doing about 2004, something like that, first mm -hmm. time I saw this film. Um, yeah, I really like it. I always have liked it. Um, it's not something I want to watch again and again and again. Mm. Uh, it is... It, it's definitely Japanese cinema marches to its own beat. Yeah. <laughs> that's putting it very lightly yeah yeah it's great it is intense it is scary and it's really well directed well acted as well yeah. I mean sometimes it is quite hard to judge when something is in a foreign language how well something is being acted mm. as far as like the dialogue and stuff how well it's being delivered but yeah it's great if you haven't seen it fucking give it a go yeah honestly. definitely the, the movie that everyone's been pissing and moaning about since Hunger Games came out is worth the hype. Yes. Absolutely yes. worth the hype. And I'd say even the second one's not too bad. The first, the first two thirds of the second one's really good and then it literally becomes an homage to the original director because again his son's taken over and it does get fucking weird. But mm. they, they do Saving Private Ryan at the beginning of the second one. So they do like the Dooms, uh, the um, Normandy beach landings. Okay. But they've got, because um, the idea is obviously at the end of this one spoilers the main guys get away I'm not going to tell you how though but they get away yeah I think actually no when I rewatched this last week I didn't watch the last like 10 minutes or so mm. uh, or 20 minutes I think because I was like I was so tired I was like I need to go to bed Yeah, but obviously I've seen it before and I remembered obviously like you said they get away but I still can't remember how mm. I'll tell you when we're off mic okay <laughs> <laughs> no actually I might just watch it yeah, um, but yeah, they've got, a, they've got a new rule at the beginning of the second one. So the second one, they're hunting the main characters. They've been declared terrorists um, because they went against the government and that not good. Mm. Um, and it starts, they say, they do the essentially the Normandy beach landings, but there's a new rule. You're paired with somebody else. So if you die, the person you're paired with, their collar goes off 10 seconds later. Oh. And there's some fucking lovely bits on that um, right at the opening bit. And it's shot like a war movie, the opening to the second one. And yeah. it's done really well. Um, then it gets fucking odd towards the end. But yes, and that's all I have to say about that. Cool, cool, cool. Watch Battle Royale. It's fucking brilliant and terrifying. Isn't this a strange conversation for men who are crazy? Right, we're still here. We are still here. We got another one. We got another couple. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, well, I didn't go for the full ten, because I know I wanted to talk about the origins and bits and pieces. But yeah, we still got a few left. So, we are going with the year 2001, based on a comic book again by uh, Mr. Alan Moore, yet again. Starring Johnny Depp, Heather Graham, Robbie Coltrane, Ian Holm, Jason Fleming... And uh, Joanna Page. You know who Joanna Page is? Is she the mum from Grandma's house? She's Stacy from Gavin and Stacy. 
I've never... Oh, the blonde one. Yeah. Okay. I've never seen Gavin Stacey. Me either, but when I was watching... I this, forgot what we were talking about this film. Uh, when, when Abby um, watched this with me, she went, Oh, it's Stacey from Gavin and Stacey. I'm still not watching it. <laughs> no, I have no desire to watch it. Um, mainly because it has James Corden in it. See, I, I don't mind him as much as everybody else, but I find the other guy... Fucking hate James Corden. And that's a whole nother episode. of just two hours of Finn hating on that. Which I would love to record, by the way. <laughs> just get you angry and drunk for two hours. I've had funnier vomits. Anyway, so the movie we're talking about... <laughs> the movie we're talking about is From Hell. Great film. Enjoy it? Yes, I've seen it probably three or four times yeah. over the last time since it came out. I forgot how much I liked it until I watched it. Yeah, I think I remember you saying you didn't like it. I think I remember I enjoyed it, mm. but I didn't love it. And then I watched it again and I was like, no, I think I actually loved that. I think that was really good. Yeah, I have not read the, the book. Um, but I've always enjoyed this film. I, I'm i one of these people that never sees the twist coming. Mm. Or like the reveal. There's people you know, like, oh yeah, I saw that coming a mile off. I'm not, I never see it. I never Did ever. Did you not guess who the killer was in this one? No. Because I got it from the first scene where he's speaking in the background because they didn't change the actor's voice enough. I... I had my sort of suspicions, mm. but generally, no. I'm not, I don't consider myself a stupid person, but when mm. it comes to like twists and stuff in films, I never ever. Do you know what? I generally get it. I try to make a point of avoiding seeing the twist coming. Yeah. I mean, I was the guy who guessed the twist in Fight Club within the first two minutes of the film. I got told there's a big twist, something happened on screen. Yeah, someone tells like, you yeah, it's a big right. twist. Yeah, that, that, that makes a difference. Mm. But generally, um, no, I, yeah, people are going like, oh yeah, that was so obvious, that was coming a mile off. I was like, was it? <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, what, what film was I watching? I haven't seen that at all. Yeah, but no, maybe it's because, I don't know, I sort of, I guess I, if you watch something and you kind of invest in it, like mm. you said, you might just kind of subconsciously ignore the, I, try, uh, I try to because I, I, you know, I know the directors put that moment in there for a reason, and I want to try and get to that the same way as everybody else. Yeah, and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, for the moment it's intended. It's like it'd be like watching the Matrix and skipping all the fight scenes. Otherwise, you're there for the fucking action scene. So if you're there for a, yeah, movie, a big mystery, you want to know what the twist yeah. is. Yeah, and I, I, I want to see what I fall for like red herrings all the time. Mm. Like, oh my god, it mustn't. No, it's not. You, nah, twat. Nah, you fucking idiot. Mm. Um, There's a couple in this with a few different moments as well. But yeah, they do. Apart from, I would say, like the, the identity of who they're looking for is. Mm. Like they're, they're looking for Jack the Ripper in this one. Yes, it is a Jack the Ripper story. Mm. A uh, fictionalised... Because yeah, uh, they literally turn around and say, It was this guy! Yeah, and there are many, many, many um, different theories as to who Jack the Ripper actually was. Mm. No one knows, nobody will ever know. Get over it. But this is one theory, and it's quite an interesting one. It's a bit ridiculous, but it is an interesting one. Yeah. Oh, oh, very quickly as well, it's got a, um, a cameo part from a Ralph Innocent right at the beginning of it. Who's Ralph Innocent? Uh, oh, from the, from the Witch. Yes, yes, yes. He's, yeah, he's right at the beginning. Yeah, he's I'm, one of the. Um, he's threatening one of the prostitutes. That's right, yeah. yes. Um, I'm just going to read this out because what I wrote down for the plot, I think I was quite tired when I wrote this. Mm -hmm. I've got a smack talking, smack taking, smack giving, and smack smoking clairvoyant Johnny Depp, <laughs> uh, Frederick Abilene, is assigned to the Jack the Ripper case. Accurate, uh, see, on the murders, he uses um, case files. I've actually used case files from the time to actually 
look at the details of the killings. Like, so I watched a documentary on Jack the Ripper about two mm. minutes after this finished, and every murder happened in the movie exactly when and where they said it did. Yeah, they do go into uh, great detail, yeah. and great, great that's research. L- that's largely based from the comic book. Yeah. Alan Moore did all of that. Mm. And this was when Alan Moore would still have his name on a movie, i.e. it was about two years before LXG happened. Yes. Um, uh, the original graphic novel was done by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. Alan Moore obviously wrote the bollocks off of it, and Eddie Campbell did. Uh, he was like quite an underground, almost horror illustrator. Mm. Um, one problem I have with this comic is I fucking hate the art style. Oh really? I really didn't like almost it. Almost ex- well, I've only actually I've only really seen the cover. It seems like almost like water painting. It seems oil like painting. Some, it's, imagine someone oil painted a storyboard for a movie. That's yeah. what to me. That's what the whole thing looks like. Okay. And normally, like even with weirder artwork and bits of pieces, I can get behind it if it's done well enough. Mm. But there used to be some really fucked up artwork of the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics when they started messing around with using digital paint and stuff like that on it. Um, and other bits, there was some there's some really weird Judge Dredd stuff as well, actually. Um, where some of the artwork in that is almost like trippy as bollocks and like almost looks painted to a degree of realism in terms of like tone and colour but like it's such stretched like um, what's the word I always forget cartoonized kind of um, art style it just doesn't match with it but it just makes it stand out and look even weirder right um, but like yeah this I just couldn't get on with it and I'll be honest I never finished reading the comic Okay. Um, so I couldn't tell you how accurate it is apart from the documentary which I watched which turned around and said that the comic from the movie it's like night and day they're basically they've got the general idea of it in there mm. but they, um, the Hughes brothers who made this uh, Hughes brothers by the way known for directing The Book of Eli Menace to Society uh, Dead Presidents yeah um, I actually really like The Book of Eli I haven't seen it uh, Denzel Washington actually I haven't seen any of those films Denzel Washington being badass I've seen Menace to Society um years ago mm. um, but yeah like just the difference between the comic and the movie is just like they're totally they could be totally separate things again it's almost like the difference between Constantine and the Hellblazer comics in right. terms of how different they are um, one thing I did really like about the film though they don't go down the comic book action route I think there's one, no, not all, there's yeah. one action scene in the whole film it lasts about 30 seconds mm. and that's where he's in the horse and cart and he's like kicks the guy yeah 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 and you get one of that lovely death where you see the guy's face has just been dragged across the cobblestones and when it stops half his head's just not there um i love the look of the film it looks beautiful yeah that old kind of um especially a period Mm. horror Um, old white chapel i remember thinking what would happen if you took the art style from sleepy hollow and the art style of pirates of the caribbean smashed them together i think you'd get this and the performance from johnny depp is kind of in between those two with all the quirks taken out where he's got because someone's actually directing him as opposed to letting him just do whatever he wants um i think he's really good in this yeah i he can yeah he does a good accent i'll give him that I personally, in this, I don't think he has any charisma. Oh, I don't think he's supposed to. He's going to be smacked off his tits for after the film. Well, do you know what I mean? Like, he's just actually kind of a boring character. Mm. I don't know if that's what it's like in the books, but he's just boring. In the book, he seems to be a completely different person. Mm. As in, he's called something else. He's... <laughs> 
Um, they've, got, they've got the Frank Abilene <clears throat> character and then they've got another character who's made and the book starts off with they're talking about all this stuff in the past tense right um, so they're like now old men and whatnot, and it turns out cause the, yeah the idea is Johnny Depp's clairvoyant in it um, yeah. whether it be he has little visions and stuff whenever he's either drunk off his tits on absinthe or whether he's smacked off his tits in a fucking opium den yeah somewhere. funny that yeah <laughs> um, but they all seem to be very accurate mm. um, and it turns out in the comic book he made the whole fucking thing up <laughs> But obviously, at the end of the movie, it all ends very differently because spoilers, he doesn't fucking survive the film. No. Yeah, never mind. It's yeah. just a, um, I don't know, I thought he could have done so much more with it. Like that character, mm. like, he's just not interesting. The guy is fucking. But how could a clairvoyant drug addict be so boring? Yeah, I mean, when you put it like <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, yeah. But he's good looking. Well, yeah, he, he was back in them days, wasn't he? Yes. A good looking chap. Um, the horror side of it, like the actual the, the scenes where, they, he's like, where the killer is stalking people and whatnot, mm. they're over very fucking quickly. Yeah, they do that kind of um, almost this very odd kind of crank camera mm. mixed with very fast cuts and very fast edits. Yeah. They do it. Um, in um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, there's a few of them mm. when the, I think it's the werewolf, is running through the sort of courtyard and attacks mm. somebody. This very odd um, camera technique. And there's a few of that, a mm. few shots of that. Um, I think it's more what you don't see. Yeah. with this and you just see like the aftermath like what's and happening it's the noise you hear as well yeah the sound effects are great but that's always sort of the thing with Jack the Ripper is you know there are very few photographs from that time and mm. those crime scenes all you really have is the written details yeah and your mind puts the images in your head as mm. to what happened and how that was done I think that's the route that they've gone down yeah yeah so it's um not overly violent in the sense of him stabbing and slashing and cutting people up. It's mm. it's the sound effects, it's the quick cuts, and your brain basically does the rest for you. Mm. And I think it works well. I think film. it does work well. I think, cause I think there's only one scene where you actually see someone like get like their throat cut right in front of the camera. Yeah. And when they do it, because like you've been picturing it in your mind they obviously kind of had to go whole hog on that mm. and they really do it's a really good throat slitting in a movie like, yeah um, really liked that um, okay like the way it looks the music fits it well even though there's nothing spectacular about it yeah um, My, I still don't know why they threw the elephant man into the movie though uh, simply because uh, John Merrick did live in Whitechapel at the time mm. in the because um... I believe there is a subplot involving him in the comic book Oh, right. And I think they've literally gone, yeah, we know, here he is, isn't he weird? Well, Maybe, well. By the way, not an animal, definitely a human being, yeah. and moving on. Maybe it's, yeah, because there is this kind of uh, running theme of physicians mm. in London and that kind of weird elite of upper-class medical people mm. in London and yeah, the right. Alpha Man did live in Whitechapel during the mm. Jack the Ripper murders so because you watched The Elephant Man like the next day or something didn't you? I did and it's David Lynch's best film really? yep so it was good then I don't think David Lynch is that amazing ah oh, he's got a couple of movies I like, <laughs> so, <laughs> like <laughs> I he's I haven't seen like every fucking Lynch film mm. 
I've seen like Lost Highway, um, but I've seen the first season of Twin Peaks. I just think it's a bit overrated. Mm. But I think The Elephant Man is the best of what I've seen. I think it's a really good film. Cool. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, also, on a note, my so my mum is from London, mm. and he's in like that area of Whitechapel. Uh, sorry, that area of London. And uh, when I was a kid, I sort of first heard about Jack the Ripper. She would tell me that her, um, they used to say, if you don't, when they were kids, they say, mm. if you don't go to bed, Jack and Ripper will get you. Mm. Which is sort of like an old thing. Maybe yeah, they still yeah. say it around there nowadays, I don't know. But um, this is like what her mum would say to her, and mm. it's sort of what her mum's mum would say to her, and mm. it sort of went back to like her sort of great grandmother, like, go to bed or Jack the Ripper will get you. Mm. But they were saying this like just 10 years after Jack the Ripper was actually, people would for years, mm. fucking, he was like the boogeyman essentially. Yeah. But it was he, real. he took over from the whole Spring Hill Jack thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe he was like a big kind of like, ooh, folklore kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, we got a fucking real one. Yeah, a real one. Yeah, and it was mm. big, like it's just such a huge thing. And yeah, mm. and the time as well. Um, and the fact that it's unsolved as well. Yeah. And will never be sold. No, it never will be. No. Even uh, if we got the right guy, we'd never fucking know. Yeah, we, exactly. Someone um, probably has said it was, you know, all these people, people that fucking dedicate their lives to mm. try and solve these fucking crimes. Somebody has probably done it right. Mm. And they've just been dismissed as like, well, can't prove it. It's like the memes you used to see. It was like, you ever think people are watching these, like, you know, mystery things reenactments and bits and pieces and people, people coming up with these ideas and the actual perpetrators are like well Barbara from Kent's getting a little bit close there isn't she? <laughs> yeah it's a fascinating um, I say story it's a fascinating sort of historical event yeah and true crime thing and people will always be fascinated by it because mm. it was never caught and because it was so gruesome and so quick. Yeah. Essentially, it wasn't, this didn't go on for years. Mm. This was very sort of brief. It was only five killings. Mm. Um, but yeah, it will carry on forever. And I think this is a sort of cool spin on it. Yeah. I like this, yeah. Obviously, it's a fictionalisation, but it is a good fictionalisation. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and I'd say quite a respectful one as well. Yeah. As well as you can be. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make a film about dead hookers. Well, you know, <laughs> make sure not to annoy anybody. Yeah. Mm. Working gals. All right. So, from 2001 to 2001. We're going to go for another movie. The one I told you not to watch. Is she the killer? Is she the killer? Now, this is horror in a really fucking weird way, this one. This is, this is horror. I, I, I maintain this is a horror film. Um... You might disagree with it if you ever do it around and watching it, but it's just the horror in it is the absolute depraved depths of the human animal in this one. And like, if this wasn't done in such a comic booky over the top kind of style, this would be on a list with Serbian movie for shit you should not be seeing in films. Okay. Um, there's no incest in it. There's no child rape or child sex in it or anything like that. There's a bit of child murder in it. <laughs> Is this um, Japanese? This is Japanese. This is uh, made by a guy called Takeshi Miike. Um, he's done a lot of the sort of like Asia... Tar do you remember they used to do a range of movies like the Tartan Asia Extreme? Yeah. Uh, it's what Battle Royale first got released on DVD on over here. Right. Um, and basically, I think about half of those movies are made by this fucking Takeshi Miike guy because he loves his full-on over-the-top stuff. Um, yeah, I'm going to sum this up by saying... Right at the beginning, I've just realised I made a mistake when I was talking about um, 
characters in Battle Royale are called one Kakihara, and that is not the name of the character in that. It does begin with a K. I think it's Kiriyama instead. But Kakihara is actually the bad guy from this, so apologies to anyone who noticed me picking. I picked up on that. I did not. Well, I told you not to watch it. Oh, that's the, one of the, the famous one that Takeshi Miike did where he did Audition. I've seen Audition. I've seen... Kitty, 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 kitty. I've seen bits of it. I never finished it. I think I was watching it around a friend's house and went, I should really go back and watch this. And he's a good and film. He's like, ah, oh, maybe you shouldn't, actually. Apparently, in terms of ideas and shit that goes on in this, this makes that look fucking tame. Okay. Um, the opening scene is the nominal Ishii the Killer, who it turns out is a mentally deranged guy with the mind of a child who has been trained in sort of like lots of martial arts and is basically a double hard bastard who wears this like armor plated suit with knife blades on the heels um yeah yeah uh, again this was taken this is um, taken from a manga uh i didn't get the year the manga was written in um it wasn't long before the actual movie came out. i think it was only a few years beforehand uh this thing is fucked i've seen this film about four times and i couldn't tell you if i like it or not what is is there a plot? Is yeah. it just he kills people? Uh, there is a plot. Yeah. Um, um, I w- did just say just say on the on the quality of the movie. I actually went to see what rating this had on IMDb, and I was fucking shocked to find out it actually had a seven out of ten. See, I I say I've never seen this film. I've heard of it. Mm. I've known about it, and always thought that it was in that region of sort of. Um, same scale of like Battle Royale and um, this makes it Battle Royale Ip Man like a or whatever it is picnic. Um, Ip Man's just a really good martial arts movie. Alright. Um, so as far as yeah, foreign films mm. that are worth watching, Issue Killer, um, was always in my mind kind of one of the ones that's up there. It's an ex- like, it's a fucking experience, is the the only way I can really describe. Like, like to sum up the plot, you got the um, the main guy in it isn't actually Issue the Killer. He's almost like again a crazy boogeyman who's spoken about in the background. Mm. Uh, the main guy is this guy, Kakihara, who has got... He's a massive sadomasochist. You punch this guy in the face, he'll get a boner. Right. Right? Uh, this happens at one point in the film. A guy's, like, <laughs> laying into him, and he's just... They're grinning at him. They just look down and realise the guy's got a massive fucking rod on. Okay. Um, Ishii the killer is sent out to kill a gang boss, and it turns out the boss he's killed is Kakihara's boss. Kakihara had a very special relationship with his boss and that the beatings that he used to take from his boss were the ones that used to arouse him the most, that he used to enjoy the most, and he's looking for someone else who can beat him in the same way so that he can enjoy it as much. Uh, so he wants to find Ishii the killer. He wants he a thinks, daddy. He wants himself a daddy. But he also is very good at giving out the old pain. And um, so he starts going around looking for Ishii, trying to find out who the fuck he is. And it turns out they've got a, a guy in common who's just called Gigi, which means like old geezer, old dude in Japanese. Oh boy. It's just like a nickname. <laughs> yeah, old boy, if you will. Um, it turns out that Gigi is actually controlling Ishii the killer. He's essentially got mind fucked him. Um, and he's the one who sent him out to go and kill this boss because he wants to tear down the Yakuza and rule it for himself. How he's going to do that once he's torn it down, never really brought up. Uh, so Kakihara, who by the way has got a an E cut into his face, um, but the the bottom part of the E goes straight across his mouth in a Joker smile that would leave the Joker fucking wanting. Like this is literally, it's not healed in the middle. It is fully wide open, pretty much up to his fucking ears, mm. and he holds it together at the corner of his mouth with two piercings. 
and, and the bit where you all wait to see happens right at the end when you find out what happens when he takes those piercings out and a guy tries to punch him in the mouth and he just opens his mouth like a fucking banshee and pretty much swallows the guy's fist. Ooh. It's fucking hideous and it looks fucking horrible. I need to see this. Um, maybe you do. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so Kakahara's trying to find Ishii the Killer to take a beating from him. Ishii the Killer's getting sent out to go and um, yeah, kill all these mob bosses. Uh, but he's also doing his own little thing. And it turns out Ishii the Killer, a little bit of a fucking pervert. The opening scene to the film is him watching a woman getting beaten and just about to get raped by some guy. Um, and they hear a noise at the window. And the guy sort of like smacks the woman again, runs to the window to try and find out, looks outside, looks down on the floor. Ishii's been wanking the whole time and his semen on the floor is how they spell out the title to the movie. It spells Ishii the Killer in the guy's cum on the fucking floor. <laughs> Uh, Ishii finds this girl later on she's working as like a cool girl slash stripper in a club but it's one of those ones where if you pay the extra you get all your extra goodies when he finds her her face like where she's been assaulted by this guy like it's rough to look at she's like eyes swollen up cuts that are still bleeding and he's there like just talking away to her she's got no idea who the fuck he is and then at the end of it he just slams some money down grabs her head and just puts it in his fucking lap um Oh, he finds her again later on but this time he's got his super ishy outfit on and she's getting beaten up by the same guy and he ends up storming into the place uh, kicks the guy clean in fucking half with this blade on his boot in some really bad CGI the guy's literally split down the fucking middle all his guts fall out it looks kind of entertaining he then takes the girl by the hand and says don't you worry it's okay I've saved you now I can beat you up instead uh, the girl freaks out, goes for a baseball bat, he ends up spin-kicking her in the throat, nearly taking her fucking head off. She's running around screaming, blood flying all up the walls, and of course she is the floor dead, and Ishii proceeds then to stop and just jerk himself off to her dead body. Cool beans. So to sum up, Ishii the killer, little bit of a ride. Um... Like I said, I've seen it a few times. I couldn't tell you if I actually like watching it or not, but it's one of those ones where I get five minutes into it and I can't stop. Like, yeah. it's like, you've got to watch the end by the time you go this far. There's some fucking horrible bits in it. It does have a really black sense of humour going through it. All right. Um, I will. I'm going to watch it at some point. Mm. It's on the list. Well, do let me know what you think of it when you do watch it. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, it's very much dystopian... You know, depths of depravity of humanity kind of horror. I, I personally still think it's a fucking horror film. Um, but there are many people who will probably tell me I am wrong. But like, um, I saw the devil. Mm. I consider that a horror film. Yeah, I've seen that come up. I've been. I've only ever heard that described as a horror film. Yeah. Um, Some people say it's more like a crime thriller. Mm. But just with lots and lots of gore. Yeah. When you get to a certain point, it becomes fucking horror. Mm -hmm. um, right. Okay. So we're going to go on to the big one. If you're going to talk horror movies from comics, you can't not talk about this fucking film. Go out to 1994. The Crow. The Crow. The Crow. Starring Mr. Brandon, may he rest in peace, Lee. Uh, Michael Wincott. Uh, Rochelle Davis. Uh, Ernie Hudson. I think, yes, that Ghostbuster. <laughs> uh, Bai Ling. Tony Todd. Uh, Michael Massey. And yeah, that, that, that's about enough of the. I always forget Tony there. Todd's in this. I always forget he's in this. Yeah. But the moment someone says to me he's in it, I instantly picture him. He's got that lovely hat, the glasses, and the, the glasses, and the, the, the weird shotgun that looks more like a grenade launcher. Yeah. 
Um, Michael Wincott is amazing in this. Like, performance of a fucking career, like... Oh, oh no, see, I think Michael Wincott's best performance is... Have you seen The Count of Monte Cristo? No, but you've told me about this when he we talked about it. He plays the jailer before. in it, mm. and he's brilliant in it. Mm. And also, he's Guy of Gisborne in, in Robin, Robin Hood, Hood of Thieves. Thieves. Ah, he's also one of the bad guys in the Disney version of The Three Musketeers with Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, and Arnold Rochefort. Uh, yes. Isn't that a smelly kind of a cheese? It is, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Written by a French guy was probably a deliberate dig at the character. Yes, um, that version of that is also awesome. Uh, yes, it is. Yes, uh, I've got to be for now. Quick impression for you. Car, car, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> um, I think I've mentioned in a previous episode he voices death in one of the. He plays one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and he voices death in the Darksiders game. Mm. And Darksiders too, and he's fucking brilliant in that. As he well. has a very distinctive voice. Yes. He just constantly sounds like he needs a strepsil. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot like a lot of the people around here at the moment. Ahem, <laughs> <coughs> uh, yes. Clear that throat. Mm. So the movie was made in 1994. It was based on the comic book that was... Uh, it, it was I think it was begun in 1987 and finished in 1988. 1998, sorry. No, 88, yes. Um, and this was written by Mr. James O'Barr. I know. I've read this book. You've actually read this one? Yes. Mm, uh, I even used to own a copy of it. I lent it to someone. I think you, Dave Myatt. <laughs> and I... In this episode, Finn will be calling out members <laughs> of his past that he has not quite resolved his issues with. Um, yeah, I have read this. And I've seen this film a bunch of times. And I love the book. And I love the film. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I mean, it's freaking great. Uh, it was actually written by James O'Barr as a coping mechanism. Yeah, it's actually a really tragic story, mm. isn't it? Um, Girlfriend uh, got killed in a hit and run. Yeah, she uh, hit by like a drunk driver. Mm. His girlfriend is very young, and um, in the book, in the comic book, she, the character of the dead girlfriend is mm. drawn exactly like how that. his girlfriend looked. Yeah. The character of um, Eric Draven slash The Crow is based on Iggy Pop mainly. Mm. Uh, like his physique yeah. is based on Iggy Pop. And um, he doesn't have the long hair like Brandon Lee. He's got more like a mullet, yeah, like a spiky more... mullet thing going on. Mm. 80s, yo. Yeah. And Before the, grunge. The makeup's a little bit more... It's like it's very much it's more drawn like the mask that he copies in the film. It's like yeah, the, it's the more theater, defined. The theatre, kind of like yeah. happy, sad masks. Yeah. And obviously he goes ironically for the happy one. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I mean, the look is fucking iconic. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, look, this is the film that launched A Thousand Goths. Yeah. <laughs> I was fucking one of them. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, there are people going about The Matrix and how, like, original and groundbreaking it was. It definitely has its influences oh, in films yeah. like this. A and uh, Blade, like, which we talked, we talked about. We talked about as well, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's the whole scene right at the end where, um, which, by the way, not the scene he died in. Uh, when he storms the room at the end and they're all sat around the big table. Mm. When I first saw it, I thought that was the scene. Everyone thought yeah. that was the scene where he died because that would make the most sense for him to accidentally get shot by a mm. prop gun. But, um, well, I will talk about that very briefly in a minute. Um, but obviously, yeah, uh, that whole scene, he's running around in a long coat, there's metal playing in the background, he's flipping about, he's got twin handguns, he picks up a sword, he's doing fucking martial arts. He's wearing arts. a trench coat. Matrix, totally original. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and again, as you said as well, Blade. But I think in a lot of respects, these two movies do that whole look better as well. Yeah. Matrix obviously is more style. But. Yeah, it's more style and sort of glossed over, whereas Blade and The Crow, the Crow especially, is just mm. darker. Like, this film is dark, mm. and I mean 
physically dark. Like cinematography, um, there's no green nope. in the film whatsoever. Um, the color ratio, it's like they washed out. Mm, it's all black, the... gray, white, and red is mostly Yeah, what anything else is kind of like diluted and washed mm. out. Um, like I said, there are no like greens or blues mm. that you can find in the entire film. I think it was that they just said they were avoiding like springtime colors. Yeah, they, they wanted literally because you know spring beginning of life. They're like, no, this is a film about love and fucking death, mostly death. Yeah, I really wish Alex Price would make good films again. Yes, uh, we said he made. We, said, we always come back to Dark City whenever we. He talk made this, uh, then he made Dark City after this, which is a really kind of forgotten gem. Mm. Um, then he did Gods of Egypt. Yeah, which I haven't seen, but by all accounts is it's a video shit. game movie. Yeah. Although he did do iRobot, which isn't a bad film. That, to me, that almost works as a prequel to The Matrix. I don't like the look of iRobot. I don't. But I do like the story. Right. And yeah, iRobot is a good film, actually. Yeah. And it's got obviously Mr. Allen Tudyk doing his usual thing of sneaking in. Playing I did a voice not murder and, him! And playing a voice character and stealing the whole fucking movie anyway. Yeah. Yeah, iRobot is a good film, but mm. uh, this and Dark City are... His best. Mm. He did another movie that you bought recently that you got very excited about again. What was that? Knowing. Oh, yeah, no, I forgot about Knowing. Yeah, yeah that weird Nicolas Cage film. Um, yeah, that's a film that starts off one way and ends another. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I do need to see that still. Yeah, it is good, yeah. Mm. It's, it's interesting. Right. Anyway. All right, plot for this one, uh, very, very similar to like the, the comic and the movie, like, basically the exact same story, just told in very different ways. Mm. Um, like, for example, in the comic book, all the bad guys are black. Oh, are they? Yeah, every one of them is black. There's a really, really haunting scene in the comic book I really wish they'd left into the movies. It's when he gets, I think it's the first guy he goes after that's one of the, so sent, yeah, for, go back to the beginning. Starts off on Devil's Night, mm. uh, day before Halloween, Eric Draven and his girlfriend Shelley, uh, she's been raped and murdered. He's been shot and thrown out of a window and murdered uh, because he walks in on the rape happening. Mm. Um, and sometimes, just sometimes, when something that bad happens, a crow will take pity on the soul, carry it back to the land of the living so it can take fucking revenge. And oh my God, does he take bloody revenge. Mm -hmm. um, so the first guy he goes after in the comic book is T-Bird. He's the guy in the movie, he's good with knives. Yeah. That's where he gets his coat from as well. Um, and it, yeah, this guy's just a murdering, raping piece of shit. Mm. Uh, the, the, the scene I really like in the comic book, if you remember it, is when he goes after him, he's already stolen the sword from the pawn shop mm. and he takes the guy's feet off at the ankles. Yeah, and I remember just, that now. He just sits there talking The comic to book him. is graphic. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> the last little line of that interaction I absolutely love, which is just, my feet are cold, can I have my boots back, please? And he can see them, like, three feet away on the floor. Yeah. And it's really horrible, man. Like, I do actually like the scene, one of my favourite scenes in the film is when he goes to the pawn shop to get the ring back. Mm. Um, and almost word for word, mm. the film and the comic book are the same. Yeah, Mr. One, Gideon, you're not paying attention. attention. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. Each one of these represents a life, a life you helped destroy. And yeah. he actually does in the comic book the whole dropping the rings into the shotgun and blasting them back yeah. in. That whole bit's just... Yeah, that scene is like directly lifted from yeah. the book. Features one of my favourite lines in a movie ever just before when T-Bird leaves. Was it you cheap ass chrome dome saprophyte child molesting motherfucker? Was like, oh, if you're gonna insult someone, do it in <laughs> style, man. Mm. And obviously, there's a nice hint into the characters' like backstory as well. Mm. There's a lot of just throwaway lines if you stop and listen to actually tell more and more about the people in there, which I like. It's yeah. just like storytelling without telling the whole story, like what they call like I don't know, suggestive storytelling, mm. I guess. Um, so the scene where he actually died. Should we talk about that real quick? Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, 
Brandon Lee, son of Bruce, was killed during the filming of this by uh, an accident on set. Uh, I can't be asked to go into the full details, but basically there was a gun uh, that was loaded incorrectly. Yeah, it had so a piece of the shell of a blank fire. Still in it. Still lodged in it. So when yes. the blank went off, it essentially yeah. fired a bullet at him. Yeah, uh, and was killed on set filming. Uh, Michael Massey, the actor, was actually the one who fired the gun and killed him. He afterwards he uh, went it took like a year off of mm. everything just to uh, it, it was never at any point was he considered like guilty in any way no, it was, it, it was total freak fuck yeah and it never went to like court or anything like that um, he was in no way to blame but yes this young actor how old was he he was thirty I'm not even sure he was that old yeah. Um, who obviously the son of Bruce Lee but had made a few films and this was going to be his big break and it was amazing and then unfortunately died on set mm. that was it yeah what was is it the scene in the bedroom it's the scene where they're raping her he walks in in, in the movie when you watch it now Tintin turns around and throws oh like the flashback scene yeah yeah right sorry if I said earlier on with the character T-Bird actually meant the character Tintin he goes after first because he's getting the black guy with the knives you find the reason why he wants him first in the movie is because as he walks through the door and sees the He's way the he knife, gets the yeah. knife and you get the classic see ya! Yeah. And again, fucking quotable movie this one. Yeah. Doing shots at the bar and I fire it up! Fire put, it up! Pussy's drink up. last, man. Oh, and of course that guy is Warriors! Come out to play! Yeah. There ain't no coming back, man! There ain't yeah. No. yeah. That guy... Um, that's the devil's song, goodness, I thought that wicked one. <laughs> but you know, I, I, for some reason I thought, well, originally I thought that he died in the, like everyone did, the big scene in the room where he's on the yeah, table. Yeah, like the boardroom. Yeah. Uh, then when I found out that it was Michael Massey that actually fired the gun, I thought it was that bedroom scene where mm. he comes in with the guitar. Look at what you've done to my sheets. Yeah, that's it. And they've got the classic joke in there that Jesus Christ walks up to an innkeeper, hands him three nails, and he says, can you put me up for the night? Put on tish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that flashback, I don't know how far into filming they were with this. Pretty. It was like mostly wrapped up. Mm. Mm. But the, um, the effects they use... Mm. Afterwards, because there was some stuff that wasn't filmed. For me, you can't tell. You can't tell. Yeah, I cannot tell. It's the first time they'd ever superimposed um, an actor's face using CGI onto somebody else. It's yeah. the first time they'd ever done it in cinema history. And it's the best it's ever been done. Yeah. It also features a full-on the CGI over a, over the top of an entire stuntman at one point. The bits where he's running after the boardroom scene, where he's running from the helicopters. He does like a two-story drop down. Mm. You see him roll, land, and keep going. Yeah. That was a combination of another guy, full CGI stuntman over the top of it, and it's the first time they'd ever used a fully CGI rendered stuntman in a shot as well mm. so I mean they, they got some good stuff out of it this is the thing like when you look at this film came out in 94 mm. and um, some of the effects that you look at like the very opening shot it's aged slightly they, they don't look that great even the, the healing the hole in the hand when he gets shot yeah they've got the, what they call the black line yeah round the uh, and you can see it's yeah. not his arm you can see it even looks like it's at the wrong angle yeah um but yeah, there are some duffers, shall we say, in the CGI department. But when it came to the superimposing Brandon Lee's face and you know, all that stuff, mm. 
It's flawless. Yeah. It's absolutely flawless. I can't, I can't tell you what scenes are what. I'm sure there is like a YouTube video with some... Oh, there is. I found it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but I never been able to tell. And I think the, the tone of the film and the sort of cinematography, it's like we were talking about earlier, that darkness helped by mm. sort of concealing lines, essentially, yeah. that shouldn't be there. But it's a really well done, well done job. Mm. I said, of, of the movies we've spoken about today, this is by and far my favourite. Like, I yeah. absolutely love this. Film. So I've, I've loved this film since I first saw it. I think I uh, remember years ago, I didn't know, well, it must have been like about 10 years old, there was a thing on Channel 4 mm. where they were doing a documentary about Brandon Lee and mm. the making of this and all that. And that was the first time I'd heard about it and watching mm. it and be like, oh, I obviously, obviously, I knew who Bruce Lee was. Mm. I had no idea he had a son, and that he'd also made these films. And there were like interviews with um, uh, his mum mm. and sister, and so they were saying like, yeah, obviously, obviously how devastated they were, and that they uh, were obviously invited. The film obviously went ahead and was released. They were mm. invited to the premiere, and they were just like, "We're not going." Mm. And I think it was Alex Price sort of said some like you know, you should go. And um, in the end, it was like a family friend was like, you should go see the film. And they did. They were like, we thought it was a brilliant film. We loved yeah. it. This was one of those films that you remember like when you're growing up and you're really excited about a certain genre or whatever and you try and get your mum to watch a film with you. You go, mum, mum, I really liked this. Watch this. Yeah. This was the first film I showed my mum and we got about 40 minutes into it and I thought, I'm just going to go make a cup of tea. Like, what do you think? And my mum said, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it is a right. fucking great film. Yeah, really, really like that. So, raise a glass to Brandon Lee, to Alex Proyas's career. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, The Crow, 1994, absolutely cracking. Alex Proyas, um, a few years ago, somewhere, I think, just after knowing, mm. tried to get um, an adaptation of Paradise Lost made. Mm. As in John Milton? Yes. Mm. Um, with Bradley Cooper okay. playing Lucifer. Mm. And it didn't get made because it was just after writer's strike and like Hollywood was cutting loads of loads of films. If we get that before Del Toro's fucking Mountains of Madness, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But online you can find the artwork and it's fucking cool. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, really cool shit. Shit, I'm going to throw it Richard Stanley's way. He's like coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just one of those things that like, one of those films that like, ah, oh, if only that had been made. And yeah, like Richard Stanley's um, original, Ryan, yeah. the artwork is still there. Frax Price's Paradise Lost, the artwork is there. And like, ah, oh, damn. Come on, do something with it, guys. Yeah, but instead they went and made another Transformers film. Thank you, Hollywood. Fuckers. Yeah. So well, those are the main movies to talk about. Those right. are the main ones. Do you have honorable mentions? I do have honorable like mentions. Uh, number one, um, Fight Me. This is a horror movie if you're a kid. I know because I took my little brother to see it and it scared the shit out of him when he first saw it. Men in Black. You Love it. Uh, yep, absolutely fucking great film. Yes, was based on a comic book that came out in the 90s. Um, I think the movie came out, yeah, 1997. I mm. um, it wasn't a big Marvel title at all. Oh, it was Marvel. I didn't think it was Marvel. Originally, it was um, Air Cell Comics, who then became Malibu Comics, who were bought by Marvel Comics in 1994. So they owned all the rights to it when it went to the movies. Was the comics a lot darker? 
It was darker. Um, it still had the humour in there, just not as Will Smithy humour. Like it had yeah. like the I think like a CSI, like the dodgy one-liners and stuff like that. Okay, it's that kind of thing. There's a, there's obviously a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing going on, but it's also very quite doom and gloom because there's an apocalypse every five fucking minutes. Yeah, but it wasn't just aliens in the comic books. They also dealt with uh, demons, mutants, zombies, werewolves, vampires, and other legendary creatures. That needs a TV show. That needs a fucking TV Not show. A fucking Chris Hemsworth reboot. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I'm really glad I drank during that. Um, <laughs> did watch it. Didn't hate it, but it was like, it could have been so much better. It could have just been the first movie again, which is, this is definitely one of those like movie franchises where the first one is far and away the fucking best. I like all, I like all three. I do like all three, but it's like, the first one is like, for me, it was a classic. The second two are just, I know they are really good. Like, yeah. I, I do enjoy. I particularly like Jermaine Clements in the third one. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, fucking it's really good. And again, surprisingly nasty and dark that one. Mm. Um, and Josh Brolin's impersonation of Tommy Lee Jones is fucking yeah, spot it is on. so good because he's mm. someone that's really hard to impersonate. Mm. Tommy Lee Jones. It's like it's doing a Bart Simpson's voice. It's yeah. really difficult to do, but he. Nails it. Absolutely nails it. Um, and again, like some of the monster effects in it, and like the little—I remember the the bit that freaked my bro out. And to be honest, it even made me jump the first time I watched it. Is right at the beginning, where they've taken the alien off to one side to talk to him at like the Mexican border, and it's the little eye that looks backwards, spots like, <laughs> the fucking Rory does, and the way he changes into like, yeah. okay, now he's actually going to. Also, fight him uh, up, Vincent D'Onofrio. Mate, what the... a performance! <laughs> <laughs> Water. Sugar. Water. You can have my shotgun when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Your terms are acceptable. <laughs> and again, fucking brilliantly quotable. The, the, my favourite thing in that whole film was right at the beginning, before Vincent D'Onofrio is taken over by that cockroach anything, is mm. arguing with his wife. And there's a shot outside of the house mm. as he's, they're shouting and arguing. And you can see in from the sky oh, this the thing coming slowly down. coming down to earth and he's arguing and they're shouting he goes the only thing that pulls me way around here is my god damn truck and just as he says it <laughs> the meteorite smashes his truck and, and he walks out and just goes figures <laughs> love it love it love it yeah Vincent D'Onofrio man he just I could watch him in a fucking anything he's great I man. love him um, even in his little thing he was doing in the Jurassic World movies recently but I you didn't watch any of the Netflix Marvel stuff did you like Daredevil. I think I watched like a few episodes of the first, yeah, Daredevil. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio plays the kingpin in Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. And he is fucking good in it. It's worth sticking with just for him. But anyway, Men in Black, 1997. Great sci-fi comedy horror movie based on a comic book. Yes. And the last one I'm going to mention, um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this one. Did you get a chance to watch Brightburn? No. Cool. The reason this one gets an honourable mention is because it's not technically based on a comic, but it is very much a comic book film. It's a, it's a comic book film, yeah. and it's a horror movie. Um, it is the idea is what if Superman went bad as a kid? Right, essentially, yeah. it's um, a great concept. It's a very good concept. It's been done very, very well in a couple of different comic books. The two mm. I will mention are Red Sun, which they've just released an animated movie of, which I watched the other day. And apart from completely fucking up the ending and changing the ending and taking away the big twist, which made the whole fucking comic. The rest of it is pretty spot on and they do a really good job of it. So he lands in um, Russia um, during the Cold War 
and he becomes Russia's Superman rather than the US's Superman. Amazing. Um, it's <laughs> literally every bit as good as you think it is. Um, so he's being ordered around by Stalin. Stalin's like looking after him, raising him, grooming him to be this super soldier for, you know, communism. Yes. Yes. Um, they do like a classic spin on all the... Cause technically, he's the bad guy in it. And, but they also manage to make the good guys that come after him pretty fucking bad as well. Mm. Uh, Batman's a fucking suicide bomber in this one. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's done really, really well. Um, the whole idea of it was great. Uh, another one that is really cool, which I read years and years and years ago, it was called Speeding Bullet. Speeding Bullet, the story in this one is a similar concept to um, Red Sun, except instead of landing in Soviet Russia, um, Superman's pod lands in the back garden of one Thomas and Martha Wayne. Okay. Um, so they are unable to have children of their own. Do they not have Bruce? No, not in this, not in this timeline, they don't. This okay. is what they call an Elseworld story, go, uh, literally a what-if. Bizarro world! Yeah, which they're going to be doing with Marvel animated movies soon because they haven't kicked that fucking cash cow enough. Like, <laughs> uh, you know it's bad when even I'm getting bored of the amount of Marvel stuff coming out, and I fucking live and breathe that shit. Um, so anyway, he lands in the back garden of Thomas and Martha Wayne. The whole night happens where they go to the cinema, or the theatre, sorry, to go see... Zorro, as it usually is. Um, yeah. Martha and Thomas both get murdered by um, whoever the guy is. Um, I can't remember if they fucking decided his name was Joe Chill. Right. Uh, Richard Brakes, yeah, he shows up. Fuck it. Um, he murders them. And little Brucey boy, because they still call him Bruce, because oh, I've always wanted a little boy called Bruce. Okay. Um, this one, however, turns around and fucking vaporizes the guy with heat vision. Cool. Still goes mad, still becomes Batman, but he is Batman on a fucking path of vengeance with Superman's powers. That sounds awesome. It's fucking great. It's awesome. really, really good. I will say no more than that. Find it, read it, love it, like it, whichever. Don't forget to click and subscribe. Um, it, yeah, it's really, really fucking good. So, Brightburn. Um, it's, ooh, it's really, really similar to a, um, a story by J. Michael Straczynski, who, who wrote for Marvel at one point. I think it's called Total Power. And mm. They just introduced some new characters, and they introduce a character called Hyperion, who literally is Superman written for the Marvel Universe. Um, except that he lands in Kansas in the middle of nowhere, but he gets found by the government first. I was going to say, he gets found by Sony. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> but yeah, so um, he, he gets found by um, uh, the government first, and they essentially they stick him in a hole like... Uh, have you seen The Boys? No. No, watch The Boys. It's kind of what they do with Homelander in that. They train him up to be like a superhero, but like, you have to believe in all of our ideals and blah, blah, blah. And at one point, he, he, Hyperion turns around and goes, yeah, no. Um, kind of fuck all of that. And there's a really great bit I like in the comic where um, he basically goes to assault the army base that he was raised at after he's escaped. He goes, you know what? I'm going to go back and wipe it off the face of the fucking planet. And they say, um, how long did it take him to get across the... Um, uh, sort of like the perimeter. They said, oh, from the perimeter to the front door, it took him um, three and a half minutes. Uh, we worked it out, sir. That would be the exact amount of time it would take for you to casually stroll from the gate to the front door. And he's got fucking nukes and bombs bouncing off of him. He gives no fucks. He just walks up to the place, vaporizes it, walks back out again. Have you seen Chronicle? Yes, I've seen Chronicle. Because Brightburn sort of reminds yeah, the, the con I haven't seen Chronicle, but the concept of it reminds me a bit Watch of Chronicle. Watch them both. 
Yeah, honestly, um, Chronicle is actually was about to get a mention in a minute because mm. it does a similar thing with like people get superpowers, one of them goes dark. Yeah, it like Chronicle, like I like found footage movies anyway. Uh, it's a very very well done found footage movie, and they make the superhero thing pretty much believable in it. Like, yeah, they do it really really fucking well. Um, so yeah, Brightburn kind of takes this whole total power Straczynski kind of. Do you know J. Michael Straczynski is by the way? No, I uh, wrote Babylon Five. <laughs> a fuck ton of comic books. Okay, um, but he, like, as a writer, he's like quite revered in the comic book world. He did one of my favorite Spider-Man storylines as well. Um, but we won't get into that because again, we are running on today. I'm drunk. Hey, good man. <laughs> so basically, Brightburn takes that whole same thing of a couple who can't have kids. Alien lands in their back garden. They start to raise him as their own son, and then his ship that he landed in they kind of keep it buried underneath the barn and mm. it starts talking to him oh um, in some weird alien language that bit by bit the more it talks to him the more he seems to understand it he keeps getting drawn to it and then one day he's there trying to start the lawnmower to do some chores for his father gets a little bit angry um, pulls the cord a bit too hard and accidentally slingshots the thing about 600 metres behind him and the kid's like fuck I'm really strong and then walks over to find where the um, lawnmower is and the blades are still spinning on the bottom. And for pretty much no reason whatsoever, he just sticks his hand into the spinning blade. Not a fucking mark on him. Breaks the thing. He's like, shit, I can't be hurt. Stops and thinks about it. I've never been hurt. Hmm. What to do, what to do. <laughs> Apart from the fact it takes way too long to get going, the last half hour where he fucking cuts loose yeah. is brilliant. Mm. Uh, there's a scene in the trailer that they show a bit too much of okay. which is really really well it's, have you seen the bit where the woman's in the diner the I've, light I've seen the trailer but I can't remember it I think I showed you the trailer when mm. it first released um, there's some really good kills in it um, this was done by the way it's directed by uh, David um, Yarovesky it was written by Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn and produced by James Gunn. I say, are they related to that other gun? Uh, yeah, they really are, totally, completely. Which yeah. is why I grinned when I put speeding bullet as my next reference. I was like, hey, guns and bullets. Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, it basically plays, they play the like Superman as a kid who's going fucking mad. They do a horror movie based on that. It's got some fucking good kills in it. Um, one of which involving a steering wheel which actually made me go oh. <laughs> yeah uh, and the ending's good and it's got a proper horror movie ending to it as well oh, good. and they almost kind of set up like an own, their own dark superhero horror universe at the end and to be fair I would really love to see where they go with it if it goes anywhere which it won't <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember hearing it did not do well at the box office no but um, that you know doesn't necessarily mean that a franchise well I feel it's dead. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd rather watch something like that than, you know, those other mm. ones. <laughs> Go Thanos. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, um, yeah, I, I, liked, I liked Brightburn. I didn't love it. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Um, it does, yeah, like I said, it sounds like it's such a great concept mm. and the trailer looks great. Um I've heard mixed things. I'm still going to see it because what he does is so small scale. Like you know, you're thinking this is Superman gone evil. He could be like using planes as pairs of nunchucks and knocking nukes out of the air. Like, but that would just turn into a proper comic. It's like sometimes like the scale can leave people a bit disappointed. Have you seen Black Klansman? I haven't. No. Okay, so Black Klansman is a great film, Mm. Um, and I watched it with 
couple of friends and one of them was like, oh, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Mm. And then thinking like, was it because it wasn't on a bigger scale? Mm. As in most of the events take part in this one little town, yeah. whereas you expect it to be like kind of a, just a bigger, bigger thing, thing yeah. um, going like nationwide and being like a sort of something that, that is on the news and stuff like that. But it's actually, it almost seems like a, a very sort of isolated incident on a small scale in mm. a small town. And I'm guessing that's like, yeah, what you, sometimes you expect it to be this huge behemoth and mm. yeah, oh, Superman, bad? Wow, he's just going to like pick up the Statue of Liberty and shove it up someone's butt. Yeah, and which again, if you've seen some of the older movies, he does shit like that when he goes bad in those. And it looked fucking terrible. Yes. So I'm Superman glad... 4? Yeah, quest for peace. He's got <sighs> slightly darker boots. He must be evil. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that was Superman 3. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the one with Richard Pryor. Um, Superman 4, it, oh, that's beyond bad. <laughs> beyond fucking bad. But, um, yeah, so it, I like the film. I'd give it probably what the IMDb did, which is about a 6, 7 out of 10. Yeah. I'd happily watch it again. If you, if I was to walk home and you were to say, you know, come home one day and you're like, oh, I'm just about to watch Brightburn, I'd sit down and watch yeah, it with yeah. you. Know? Like, it's, it's one I want a second viewing of. Uh, I have an honourable mention. Go for it. Batman Begins. And uh, it's a horror movie? Yeah, I can see that totally. The whole theme of the film is fear. Yeah. And there are some fucking jumpy moments. Mm. Not jumpy, but there are some scary fucking moments yeah, in it. Anything involving John Crane for a start. Yeah, the whole fear toxin and... I love it when he gets it thrown back at him and he's seen the demonic vision of Batman. And the bats are climbing out of his yeah. mouth. No, no, that's the other way around. Mm. It's when he sprays Batman... Yeah. And he's got a scarecrow mask on and there are bats crawling, crawling out yeah. of his mouth. Uh, that is terrifying. Mm. And the other bit at the end, well, towards the end, when everyone's been infected oh, with it. Oh, and they're looking up at him. Yeah, Batman is flying through the fucking streets mm. and they look up and just see this burning eyes, giant devil thing flying. Mm. It's fucking scary. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. Yeah. That's a fucking lately. Um, other ones we've mentioned before, 30 Days a Night. Yep. Blade, yeah, and some we haven't. Uh, I can't even remember the actual guy's name. The uh, Ito, oh Jinji Ito, Jinji Ito. Yes, yeah. his stuff is fucking amazing. Yeah, uh, this is like the Korean horror comics guy you told me about. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, nothing has been adapted to screen, mm. um, but his stuff is really visually stunning. Yeah, and creepy as fuck mind boggling wow. and creepy as fuck Jay um, Horror had a bath with fucking Lovecraft and you're drinking the water yeah I don't really get scared by much anymore mm. obviously because I'm slightly desensitised believe it or not but there, yeah there are some things that leave me just kind of thinking about it for days mm. uh, Midsummer was one of them and a one of his comics which I read before I went to bed one night um, mm. <laughs> in which uh, I can't actually remember what it's called, but basically there is um, lots of holes that mm. appear on the side of a mountain. They're all shaped like humans. Mm. And people decide that, that that hole looks like it's exact fit for my body. Mm. And people get lured into it and climb into the holes. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. And I remember you sent me that one. fucking freaky and terrifying. Mm. Um Yes, visually as well, his stuff is just like amazing. Um, 
I don't know if I'd want to see any kind of adaptation of. It's got the same kind of like issue as. I'm sorry, trying to bring his name up every fucking episode, but the whole Lovecraft thing of they say it's almost impossible to put his works to mm. film because 90% of the time it's all in your head right? yeah. and I'd say apart from obviously a colour out of space that we both enjoyed yeah. um, other stuff I've seen by him you can see that they're fucking struggling with ideas it's why you tend to get adaptations that are you know, loosely based or loosely based I mean yeah. like Reanimator was to be fair actually surprisingly close to the original mm. um, which when you watch Reanimator like, that fucking cat man that <laughs> cat. I love that cat um, but I watched, you say I watched From Beyond the other night, and I've actually I've read From Beyond. You can read From Beyond in five minutes. Mm. It's fucking short. Yeah. And basically, From Beyond the movie, the the book takes place in the first two minutes of it. Yeah. Like the first two minutes of the film. The other eighty-seven minutes they threw on was just like, well, what if it went further? Yeah. Um, but they actually did something cool with it, and I like I did actually really enjoy mm. the film. It's fucking great fun. But yeah, I would recommend Ito's. Stuff, yeah. You there are places you can find online. There is a big old book, um, like an anthology of all of his work not all of his work, but a lot of his work you can find. And yeah, it's just it's great. Like I say, I'm not a big comic book guy, but his stuff is amazing. I had one more honorable mention very quickly, and it's technically again cheating a little bit. And I'm going to mention um, Invader Zim. I love Invader Zim. Because um, obviously that's done by Jan and Vasquez. Did Johnny the Homicide Maniac and Squee, and there's so many little nods and references to Squee and Johnny the Homicide Maniac in Invader Zim. And we talked before about the episode of Zim where he's running around stealing organs from children. Yeah. And just some of the the imagery in the darkness in that. I don't, I not fucking believe that. Got okay, it's a kids show. Yeah. And, and also joining the homeless on a maniac. If you can find that, that's a great brilliant. book. And it's also making a resurgence. He's talking about bringing the character back. Oh, okay. Which is the reason I wanted to bring it up because um, yeah, love me a bit of Vasquez, and not just the one that was never been mistaken for a man. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think that's about it. I think that is it. Drebion. Well. Stay isolated, wash your hands. Yeah, we're going to probably record again soon because we've got nothing else to fucking do. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Um, thanks. Like, yeah, stay safe. I mean, you know, if you're under 70... You'll be fine. Mm. Unless you've got, like, you know, lupus. Yeah. Or some other, you know, immuno... Efficiency, yeah. generally, disease. don't freak out. To you. I, you know, I like I said uh, before, I got sick. I was like, I'm more worried about being stuck indoors and not working than I am about actually getting this fucking virus. Well, this is going to be known less as the coronavirus epidemic and the day that the fucking UK's mental health went out the fucking window. Yeah, essentially. Mm. Uh, yeah, don't worry that much. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> he says. Yeah. Full of confidence. Just remember, if you see a big white light in the sky, duck. Or a sky beam. Then it's just DC or Marvel making another fucking movie. So. Or, you know, maybe they're fucking up a new Star Wars film. That had a sky beam in it as well. Yeah. Still haven't seen it. There's a sky beam. There's a sky beam? There's a sky beam in a fucking Star Wars movie. Oh, and Fallen... Uh, what was it called? Fallen Order. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Good game. Enjoyed that. Good game. Good game. Good game. Good game. Mm. Right. <laughs> Let's sign off. Bye.